Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120. KMOX. Welcome in, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you from our studios here in St. Louis talking about local innovation. Today we're talking we're gonna even talk about local innovation with global impact. So this is kind of yeah. fun. We're gonna get into global hack and what they're doing to help the well, their last global hack was about helping the homeless community creating apps and software to help the homeless. And their next Global Hack is going to be about the immigrant community. So we're going to talk with Matt Minetti of Global Hack coming up. And we're also going to talk to Don Rubin from BioSTL and Global STL. See how we did that? His recent trip to Europe and what's happening as they continue to find these foreign companies that want to establish a North American headquarters in St. Louis. And Ginger Imster from the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership also on those trips will give us a little bit of perspective as to how they came about and what does all of this mean? Foreign ag tech and plant science and life science companies deciding to put their North American hubs in St. Louis. But first... We're going to talk some baseball. It's always a good day to talk baseball. Literally baseballs, like though. The, <laughs> not the sport, but like the object. Um, a global company, Rawlings, that is based here in St. Louis, but has had several parent companies over the years, including Rubbermaid. Did you know that Rawlings was owned by Rubbermaid? That's uh, really towing the rubber on that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good one. Good, good one. Well, so they've been sold or are going to be sold to a private equity firm and Major League Baseball partnering to buy Rawlings. And so we called up Art Chu, who's a former executive at Rawlings, and now he runs Stadia Ventures, the investment firm for startups. And I asked him, Art, what do you think about this deal? I, I can't overstate the the the, the uh, I shouldn't say surprise, but the interest in, in the in the whole MLB uh uh, involvement because usually you know Rawlings has to has to bid against competitors for for uh, licensing rights uh, within certain categories uh, to Major League Baseball and here it looks like MLB is picking sides uh, and uh, if they were the side that you picked on that's that's pretty good uh, so uh, you know I think the optics right now of the deal uh, seem uh, seem pretty pretty favorable. MLB picking sides and picking Rawlings. Yeah, owning a piece of one of their equipment suppliers. Pretty unusual. Uh, we also talked with Art Chu about, uh, as a Rawlings alum, about uh, how the company has tried to stabilize itself lately. They've gotten out of the football helmet business and other sports, and they've really doubled down on baseball and softball. So that's why this deal makes so much sense. And in terms of where they are in, uh, physically, they're in an office park in West County right now. But, you know, you drive to Louisville and you see the world's biggest baseball bat, no, Louisville, Louisville Slugger. Slugger. Yeah, yeah absolutely. the museum there, their headquarters are very public facing. And so the question to Art was, could Rawlings, as some have suggested, pick up from a nondescript office park and instead build a very public facing headquarters in where else but Ballpark Village? Here's what Art had to say about that. I, I think people would always love to see that. I think that uh, the, the core people, the the, the the core group there are you know loyal, loyal uh, 
St. Louisans. They're they're loyal to baseball. Uh, you know the the way the sport is part of the culture here. Uh, I think that uh, people there would love to see it all get tied together and to have a bigger influence within the within the city. Uh, it's always been a a matter of of dollars and cents, and and uh, you know getting getting the right lease and the right opportunity and the right and the right growth. But I think uh, if they can make that happen, especially with with uh, with new new ownerships, they can make that happen. I think uh, I think the city would love it. I think the company would love it. Well, we've seen so many of these retail places around ballparks uh, help expand the fan experience, and it makes sense for a company like Rawling to be in that mix and selling a lot of souvenir baseballs. And also, companies are choosing to locate. I mean, the new Atlanta Braves Stadium has in the suburbs has skyscrapers just beyond its outfield walls with Comcast offices and that sort of thing. So PwC moving to Ballpark Village, Rawlings, perhaps. Now, Art, as we mentioned, is also the uh, uh, one of the partners at Stadia Ventures investing in sports technology-related startups, and one of their demo days is next week. Well, Stadia has our demo day coming up for a spring cohort, and uh, we have uh, announced also that uh, this fall we'll be uh, partnering up with the, uh, with the city of uh, Frisco, Texas, uh, and St. Louis, so combining the two uh, with a new focus on esports. So uh, the whole idea of esports and the technology and innovation and entrepreneurship that goes into that category means there's a lot of investors that want to invest in that area, a lot of industry that wants to learn more about esports. It's uh, it's, it's it's this whole new professional leagues that are that are popping up around esports, and so we're going to have a, uh, a cohort of uh, of startups that are focused on esports. So from global sports to global hacks, we're going to take a quick break, and up next is Matt Minetti with Global Hack. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. That is the show. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And let's talk about Global Hack. Yeah, we have uh, Matt Minetti, Executive Director of Global Hack in studio. And there's two things that we want to talk about. First of all, uh, Global Hack about a year or so, I guess it was a year ago, did the Hack for Homelessness uh, focus? 2016. 2016. Yeah, wow. It's okay. hard to believe that it's like, yeah, a year and a half ago. So a bunch of hackers, coders, programmers coming together to tackle the issue of homelessness. And, Filling an arena yeah, to tackle the issue of homelessness. Yeah. And uh, you recently received a grant for the implementation of that. So can you talk a little bit about what that hack was about and where it is today? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And we're really excited to talk about the Samaritan project coming out of Global Hack 6 and what it can do for not just the St. Louis region, what we believe potentially other communities as well across the country. Um, and so the the focus of Global Hack 6, our six flagship hackathon, was focused on homelessness. Like, how do we build capacity within our region's um, homelessness-focused agencies and, you know, give them better software, potentially better tools so that they can treat and, and work with their um, clients in a better, more efficient way. And so one of the um, prime issues that we heard back from some of these agencies that we work with during the hackathon was um, around duplicate data entry, right? That um, a lot of these agencies, they had multiple systems, sometimes up to two or three different databases where they'd have to put client information in and then put the exact same information into another system. A lot of times they would do that for um, government reporting. They may have one database they use for um, reporting through HUD for housing and urban development, and they would use another internal software system for their own reporting, their own services. Um, and so they would often do this, you know, in front of the client that they're working with, you know, instead of actually talking to this other human being and getting to know their story. Um, and so, you know, it seemed like, well, it should be very easy, right, from a technological standpoint to be able to enter, 
enter in information into one system and have it populate to whatever system you have. Um, and so that that is really the, the core of Samaritan, this project that came out of Global Hack 6 and um, ultimately what um, the Missouri Foundation for Health Grant will will help us pilot and get, get toward the finish line. How was it getting all of those organizations on the same page? Because we've seen this in multiple, I mean, when Launch Code launched, for instance, going out to these companies who had their very rigid HR processes and convincing them to blow that up to get involved in the program. And so for these agencies, and they had their own policies and procedures, I'm sure, what was it like trying to convince them to get on board with this and be a part of the Global Hack experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of great relationship building that came through the hackathon and afterwards, too, in, in terms of building those relationships. Um, I think both both in terms of, of structure and there are some things that, that were already in place for us within the homelessness industry um, here in St. Louis. So um, a lot of these agencies participate in um, what they call continuums of care. So the St. Louis City has one, St. Louis County, St. Charles County, and some of the surrounding counties. Um, continuums of care are uh, basically uh, collaboratives that are um, typically mandated or set up through, um, you know, housing and urban development as a way to, um, you know, monitor and, and best kind of figure out the best ways to um, ultimately serve homelessness indi- individuals. And it also serves as a funding mechanism for for HUD, right, that they can, um, you know, write a check and ultimately, uh, you know, the organizations that are part of that community continuum of care will receive, uh, you know, funding for the housing that they provide, federally funded housing. And so I think um, both, I think that's both a, an opportunity, but a, you know, challenge for us moving forward is that, you know, there are uh, these systems and, um, you know, there's politics and, you know, people's uh, egos and, but ultimately, we find that you know just being able to um, figure out a way to explain technology in a way that that makes sense. Um, you almost have to translate things, right? You can't talk tech all the time. You have to say, well, this what is it going to do for me and for my clients, right? And I think that ultimately, once we were able to have those conversations and and get it into a way that um, you know you're able to add value to those organizations and to say this is going to save you time and ultimately money, um, we're able to you know get their buy-in and understanding. Um, but it's something, we, you know, we do have a, you know, 10 plus person advisory board that, you know, provides us with a lot of uh, guidance and support. Um, and just with a lot of those um, relationships just helps us navigate um, a lot of the communities that we seek to serve. Now, you mentioned uh, some of the agencies were uh, involved in Global Hack 6. Is that a one of the standard areas of practice is that it's not just a technologist, but it's the the end user and the agencies participate in this as well? Yeah. So, um, and I think that's one of the things that makes, I think the global hack hackathons a little bit different in that, you know, we really believe that, you know, one ingredient, you got to have the technologists there, you you need to have people who can write code and ultimately build the solutions over the three days. Um, but we also, um, provide subject matter experts who are available and on sort of like on call during the hackathon that, you know, all the teams can access, right? So I can go and talk to, the CEO of St. Patrick's Center, you know, Lori Phillips was part of the um, hackathon in, in 2016 and asked them about, you know, what is your, your what is your model, right? What does that look like? What are the challenges that you face? So that that team has the context um, to be able to build something that um, is actually informed by the community that they serve. Well, we talk oftentimes in the startup world, like some of the lingo that gets thrown around is product market fit, right? Yeah. And are you building something for the end user? And, you know, for, for our listeners, what that the easiest way to think about it is, are you not the user yet you're building it for somebody else? Like right. it, it's really important to actually, heaven forbid, and in, involve the person who's going to benefit from it or have their job impacted by it. Right. No, and, and it's a, it's a common model. I think that um, 
or I, I shouldn't even say common, but I think a lot of technologists, particularly those that are working with civic technology, employ this um, philosophy of build with, not for. And mm. so that that looks different for a lot of different people. But for us, it's like, well, instead of um, this idea of if you build it, they will come. You know, it's one of my favorite quotes from Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best sports movies of all time. Um, that aside, um, it's still a matter of, um, you know, building it with the end user in mind and actually having them sit down and actually take you through that process. Like, what does it take? Um, you know, a lot of the teams that end up participating in Global Hack uh, 6, like they had no idea what the process was for someone who actually goes and gets a bed at a homeless shelter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they just show up and it's first come, first serve, right? And it's like, not really. <laughs> this is how that works. And this is how software um, is involved in that process. We're talking with Global Hack Executive Director Matt Minetti. And can you talk about, because we're talking about the product from Global Hack 6, maybe the transition that Global Hack underwent and the new focus that, that it has. Uh, and your next event is going to be on software that can help immigrants, for instance. Yeah. So we're really excited to, um, you know, move forward with Global Hack 7. Um, you know, the decision was made to, uh, you know, do this event every other year. You know, it is a a massive undertaking just to produce the hackathon itself, but we also wanted to provide, you know, us an opportunity to really sit down and figure out what is going to get that technology that emerges from the hackathon to 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 get to the next step, get to the next step, get to the next level. And we felt like running, you know, that large hackathon every other year or like every year was going to really prevent us from doing that work and doing it well. Um, and so in 2018, or you know, actually we we announced the theme for Global Hack Seven last year. Um, and, you know, we, we considered a variety of different of topics, but the, for a, a myriad of reasons, um, you know, including a lot of the national conversations about, you know, foreign-born individuals within the United States, we felt, um, you know, compelled to really select that as the theme for this year's hackathon. So it'll be focused on not just immigrants, we're also looking at refugee communities and, you know, I think, you know um, different uh, ways in which we can um, improve the foreign-born experience here in St. Louis and abroad through technology. And so we're working with a lot of uh, the organizations that you typically associate with that type of work, Casa de Salud, International Institute, Mosaic Project, et cetera, um, to really provide us with, um, you know, the context and background and figuring out what those challenges are actually going to be for those teams to work on in October. Now, uh, we'll ask uh, one more as we look at this as being global hack. What is the who's who's traveled the, fur- the furthest to participate? Do you know offhand? Because um, you've had people come from all over. I know at least all over the United States. Any international people coming in? Yeah, we had we had teams from eight different countries last year. I'm trying mm. to go back. Um, I definitely know that there was a team from Portugal, um, and that team actually won our uh, Spirit Prize. They mm. were just like super willing to help out some of the other teams, and they're like, "Hey, we don't even care if we get any cash prizes <laughs> for this. Like, this is just we, we're just so jazzed about being here." Um, team from Germany, so. You know, I think given the kind of international focus of Global Hack 7, I'm, I'm hopeful um, and through a lot of our other partners and mm-hmm. advisors that may be able to share this information with uh, uh, countries abroad, particularly, you know, some of the sister cities that St. Louis has um, to see if they'd be willing to participate as well. Awesome. Global Hack Executive Director Matt Minetti, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, you bet. Thanks and it's uh, globalhack.org, right? Globalhack.org, um, you know. We have tickets, uh, you know, you can buy tickets to the hackathon on our website right now. We have um, an early bird special um, that's going until actually tomorrow, um, but you can still pick up tickets, uh, you know, on our website and get access to a, what I think is a super cool event. And the event's in mid-October. 
Yep, October 12th through 14th. Um, it'll be at Chaffetz Arena um, on the campus of uh, St. Louis University. Great. Well, thank you again for coming in. You bet. And Travis and I will be back with more Nothing Impossible after this. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Continuing with our global theme here on Nothing Impossible, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you, and we're joined on the line by Don Rubin of BioSTL, and their effort, really, that we're talking about today is global STL, Travis. It's so much bigger than just St. Louis, and Don, thanks for joining us. Uh, you just got back from a trip uh, overseas. You're in Europe. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an update on what global STL was doing uh, in Europe recently? Oh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, uh, so there's a lot going on connecting St. Louis to the rest of the world. And the emphasis in the last couple of weeks has been in Europe. And uh, as, as you all know from previous discussions, this global STL initiative is part of our bigger bio-STL program to build the innovation economy in St. Louis. And global STL started about four years ago to really globally connect this ecosystem with a, with a real focus on bringing innovators to St. Louis, bringing startups and other companies with, with leading-edge technologies and innovations that can add real value to our St. Louis corporations, our hospitals, our healthcare systems, and leverage these partnerships between those innovators and, and the companies here in St. Louis to have those those overseas companies put their U.S. base here in St. Louis and grow their North American business out of a, out of a headquarters in St. Louis. And uh, we've had a lot of uh, success early on in Israel um, with a number of agricultural technology, plant science companies who've put their base here, um, some digital health companies that have put their base here, and we're really growing that presence now in Europe. And our, 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 our focus in the last couple of weeks has been both on France and the Netherlands. Uh, we were uh, in, in France. Uh, uh, I was actually not in France. My colleague, Vijay Chauhan, was in France alongside partners from the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership, a real public-private um, uh, partnership to really uh, grow St. Louis's image and St. Louis's connections in innovation uh, in France, and particularly with a focus on plant science and agriculture, a real competitive strength that we have here in St. Louis. And what were you? What about in uh, the Netherlands? What were you doing up there? Yeah, and so so in the Netherlands, uh, there were two parts to our to our visit to the Netherlands. Um, uh, first of all, I uh, personally was invited uh, along with St. Louis's deputy mayor Linda Martinez to represent St. Louis at an international city conference called the Startup City Summit, where they invited about representatives from about 90 different cities from around the world, uh, many that everyone's heard of, many of the big, big cities, are, uh, but also some smaller ones. Um, and uh, interestingly, the only three cities from the United States that were invited to the summit were New York, San Francisco, and St. Louis, and which is a nice feather in our cap. Uh, why St. Louis? In, in part, it's because we've already been working with the Netherlands in a productive way to identify promising companies in agriculture and in healthcare uh, to bring to St. Louis and partnering with our big organizations here in St. Louis, uh, working through the consulate uh, to the Midwest that's based in Chicago. We've really developed a very nice partnership and, uh, and a nice relationship. So they invited St. Louis to be uh, featured um, as one of the uh, U.S. cities, and it was a real nice opportunity for St. Louis to uh, uh, tell our story 
uh, in front of uh, innovation leaders from all over the world, including, it's not a surprise, many that have never heard of St. Louis uh, or have know very little about St. Louis. So um, it was a very good chance to build some awareness about the good things happening here. And Don, what is it that is causing, whether it's the Startup City Summit or the Burgundy region of France, uh, they're now reaching out, they're being proactive and scouting out St. Louis. What is it that has caused them to take so much interest? And for instance, on stage at the Startup City Summit, what were people interested in hearing or what, what did you think they needed to hear about St. Louis? Well, you know, first of all, you know, it, 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 the, the view of St. Louis around the world is pretty much a blank slate. Uh, it's pretty neutral. Uh, it, it, it's not negative and it's not super positive. It's just people don't know very much about, they really don't know much about the middle United States in general. And uh, uh, we're able to tell the story, first of all, about all the wonderful assets that exist in St. Louis. So if we're talking to healthcare people, we can talk a lot about the great healthcare systems that are here, the big companies like Centene and Express Scripts, uh, and some of the largest healthcare systems in the country are based here in St. Louis, uh, as well as some of the top medical research that goes on in the United States happens here in St. Louis. If we're talking to plant scientists and agriculture people, we can talk about the strengths in agriculture in St. Louis, where we have more plant scientists than anywhere else in the world concentrated here in St. Louis, and so much expertise and wonderful world-class facilities like the Danforth Plant Science Center. So there's a lot to tell about the strengths in St. Louis that people are just not aware of. But there's also a nice story to tell about how St. Louis differentiates ourselves versus the big innovation centers on the coast like Silicon Valley or Boston. St. Louis has uh, a much friendlier atmosphere and a more collaborative atmosphere than you'll find on the East Coast and the West Coast. And we work together very well in a way that we can give access to an entrepreneur, to decision makers in our big organizations here in St. Louis in a very timely fashion uh, that they just can't get access to on the East Coast or the West Coast. So combining our strengths, our strong assets, with our more small town atmosphere that allows that that allows people to build connections very quickly is a formula for success for a company looking to put their roots down in the US. You know Don I was uh, recently talking to an economic development professional out of New York City and he said something that I think our listeners really need to hear because it it made me laugh. He said, you know, in New York as it relates to biotech, health tech, uh, even plant science he was so frustrated because New York City is flyover country. And it led me to think, you know, everybody is somebody else's flyover country. But for a, for a region like St. Louis, when we look at plant science, life science, life sciences, I mean, this is, uh, this is a global hub. As you mentioned, the, the, the number of PhDs and researchers out at the Danforth Center is second to none. That's right. And, and uh, uh, the track record that we've seen now um, in attracting some leading companies, uh, starting with Israel, um, has really become a calling card for us. So I met a very promising company in the Netherlands in agriculture technology um, that is very focused on biotechnology, uh, gene editing, genome, genomics in the plant space. And uh, they knew a little bit about St. Louis, but when I listed the names of some of the Israeli companies that have put their U.S. headquarters in St. Louis, these are companies that they know and that they respect. These are not just some small backwater companies. These are the very best companies that have chosen St. Louis 
to to bet on as their base location in growing their business in North America. And to list those companies to these folks who are just learning about St. Louis, our credibility just takes a quantum leap. Uh, and so the, it almost gets easier each time we do it because our track record gets stronger and stronger. It builds a resume for St. Louis. And Don, we don't want to necessarily have glee over other cities' uh, misfortune, right. but I do see... Uh, for instance, with the news about the uh, uh, the company from, I think it was from Argentina, CTC, the sugarcane firm. Brazil. 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 The uh, Raleigh-Durham Business Journal wrote a story about how this was a fierce competition and St. Louis beat the Research Triangle. And then we've got uh, Monsanto and Bayer, the merger completed, and Bayer is going to be moving from North Carolina to St. Louis, their crop science headquarters. What does it feel like to have these kinds of victories for the St. Louis region, these business victories? That's right. You know, it's, uh, St. Louisans should feel really good about the momentum that our community has in building a reputation and becoming a magnet for these leading plant science companies, agricultural science companies. And this is a really a high-growth area as as you know, our planet, our population grows, and there's and, and the amount of arable land does not grow. Um, we need to solve a lot of really important problems for the world, and there's a lot more people, innovators that are focusing on plant science. There's a lot more uh, investment capital focusing on plant science. It's a high growth area. It's going to be important for the foreseeable future, and St. Louis is positioned to be a real leader in that important area. Well, Don, with the uh, the Bayer Monsanto uh, deal officially closing this week, uh, any projections on what that means? Uh, bigger picture for St. Louis? Well, you know, I'm optimistic. I've said all along that um, you know losing a world headquarters is a blow for a city. There's no question about it. That's just the loss of prestige of of having a world headquarters. Um, so there will be some negatives for sure. But I'm hopeful that the positives will outweigh the negatives. We already see a significant commitment from, from Bayer in, in putting its um, agricultural um, uh, crop science headquarters here in St. Louis, putting its overall North American headquarters here in St. Louis. As you say, moving people from North Carolina to St. Louis. So it looks like hundreds of jobs will be added to the base of plant science here in St. Louis. And because Bayer is a multifaceted company with 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 um, with you know huge interest in healthcare, um, there's a good chance that some of their healthcare could end up in St. Louis as well, which will be a completely new addition to our economy. So, um, on the negative side of the ledger, we're going to lose the prestige of a world headquarters. But on the positive side, we could stand to gain a lot more science, a lot more research. Um, and it could even uh, be some n- new dimensions that we haven't had before. Maybe some more flyers between Frankfurt and St. Louis that might justify a direct <laughs> flight, perhaps even. Don Rubin, thank you so much for calling in. Oh, my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk with Don Rubin. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Ginger Imster. Talking more about global economic development that impacts the St. Louis region. We'll be back on Nothing Impossible right after this. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back. Michael and Travis with you in our studio here in St. Louis. We are right here in our hometown, but 
Some folks from St. Louis have been traveling the world. We've already talked about Global Hack, and we talked with Don Rubin last segment from BioSTL and Global STL. And let's get a little bit more on this conversation. Right. We're now joined by Ginger Empster, Vice President of Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership. And uh, Ginger, you were you just got back from a trip to Burgundy, France. Is that correct? Yes, in Dijon. And Dijon, oh, wonderful. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, I understand that a memorandum of understanding, an MOU was signed, help, hopefully to facilitate some cross-border um, commerce and interaction. Tell us a little bit about what the trip was all about. Yeah, so the trip aligns with a number of multi-agency partners, World Trade Center, Partnership, Global STL, and of course the French Consulate. And this trip was to deepen those relationships and add new through the lens of the Helix Center, which has a counterpart in Dijon called Agronov. And Global STL and the St. Louis Economic Development Partnership led the trade mission to ensure that, that we're connecting people both for research and commercialization, but also then for innovation and shared um, learning and talent. So the Global STL team signed an MOU with Agronov, and uh, Sheila Sweeney, the CEO of the partnership, signed a memorandum of understanding with her counterpart, Martine, uh, through their economic development agency there in uh, Burgundy and Dijon. And the Helix Center, uh, which we also own and operate uh, within the partnership, also factored heavily because Agronov is to Dijon and Burgundy in France really what the Helix Center is to St. Louis, Missouri, and um, research elsewhere in the United States. So really uh, exciting synergies and tremendous opportunity for, again, research, uh, commercialization, and then uh, shared commercial enterprise. And Ginger, what, what do you, let, you put your, use your crystal ball. What does this look like in the future as this relationship matures? Yeah, so you know, I've got a great example. Uh, the trade mission that we had last November to Argentina uh, today, I hosted a gentleman that we visited with there, you know, just a few months ago, who now is ready to hire researchers in the United States to collaborate with his team in Argentina, and he wants them to be housed out of the Helix Center and working in collaboration with Benson Hill, uh, arguably one of our most successful ag innovation companies in the region. And I think they're a perfect example of what we want to see more of uh, in partnership with the Fran with French and, and Dutch companies and their academic and institutional counterparts. So in the, in the near future, what I hope we see is an exchange of companies that are going back and forth between these markets. And as companies want to enter Europe, they do so in partnership with our French and Dutch counterparts. And as those French and Dutch companies want to enter the you know, American market, that they come through St. Louis and hopefully through the Helix Center. So from the Burgundy region of France to the Netherlands, Amsterdam, and also the plant science hub, Vahenehin. Did I get that right? Yes. Very awesome. Close. Yes. Um, and you, Eidenhoven. You, we had Eidenhoven, too. Oh, awesome. Well, all right. So take us through the, uh, the tour of that country and from the Startup City Summit uh, to meetings with some royalty. What happened in the Netherlands? Yeah. So the Startup City Summit was... It's, in its third year in Amsterdam, and it's a very curated group of uh, internationals that the Dutch invite to have conversations about innovation and entrepreneurship and startups, and this year the emphasis was on mayors and deputy mayors. So the partnership worked very closely with the Dutch consulate to ensure that we had representation there, and we were fortunate enough to have Linda Martinez 
um, deputy mayor and, and really the leader of the economic development efforts coming out of the in partnership with the mayor. Um, she was there to represent St. Louis, and then Don Rubin with BioSTL was also invited this year. I attended in 2017 and found it to be a very um, thoughtful group of well-connected individuals who are extremely committed to getting their markets, um, you know, functioning in a collaborative way, not just only within their you know, own geography, but obviously around the world. So these these meetings are, are really well done because of the quality of the people. Um, and then for for this trip this year, it, you know, after Linda and Don left Amsterdam, our delegation began about a week ago on Tuesday, and that began with uh, Wageningen and FNA Next. FNA Next is an event that is hosted there at Wageningen, which is the number one uh, research institution, I think, for plant science in the world. And this Food and Agriculture FNA Next event brings together industry startups and investors to really talk about innovation in ag tech. And the urgency to that conversation is, of course, the anticipated population boom in 2050 of about 9 to 10 billion people. Um, there's an enormous amount of pressure on industry to get yields up, to make those um, innovations environmentally sustainable, and to ensure that we're encouraging equitable access to food and equitable access to nutritious food around the world. So these are, again, um, agronomists, farmers, scientists, and machinists, and robotics specialists, um, you know, microbiome specialists. It's just a fascinating group of people across different industries and private, public research institutions um, from around the world. And from there, we went then to uh, Eidenhoven, and Eidenhoven has a tremendous uh, technology university, um, technical and research university, and we were really there to see the food brain port, which is a tremendous um, testament to the Dutch commitment to innovation in food and food technology and sustainability. Um, and so the, that, that whole trip to the Netherlands really encompassed three different uh, you know, cities and also included um, His Royal Highness Prince uh, Constantine. He was there for part of our conversation on Startup Delta and the renewed interest they have in returning to St. Louis to pick up on conversations that started here in December uh, when, when the partnership hosted Anna Will Lucas uh, for a, a really in-depth review of our biomedical, pharmaceutical, health uh, hospital and ag tech uh, communities, innovation communities. And so uh, this was the first opportunity for the Prince to really meet some of the same people that Anna Will has been communicating with and our Dutch consulate has been so supportive of connecting uh, back and forth between our geographies. And then in France, France was tremendous too. And um, this really started with the French delegation to Ag Innovation Showcase in 2017, um, our World Trade Center. And the French consulate in Chicago worked very closely to ensure that the uh, French delegation had an exceptional experience when they were here. And they were visiting Boston, Silicon Valley, and St. Louis at that time. And they said again and again that the most significant and most substantial visits they had in 2017 were the conversations they had in St. Louis. So this was sort of our reciprocal trip to uh, go back to their community and see what it is that they're doing and again, um, visit Agronov and really be able to connect with the leadership there and at their various research institutions and then their economic development, our counterparts in economic development 
to sign memorandums of understanding that really gave us this opportunity to formalize how we want to communicate so that no matter who sits in what seat, these relationships can go on and uh, be of mutual benefit between the two countries. Well, Ginger, what I really appreciate uh, about the work that you and your colleagues are doing uh, and your counterparts in other parts of the world is that, you know, the world has some really big problems and those solutions aren't going to come from just one or two locations. Like big problems require big brains and a big group of people working on it. And as you have these conversations, uh, is that part of the the narrative, the fact that you are able to serve, whether it's uh, uh, hunger uh, or health, you're able to solve some of these world's biggest challenges by bringing different groups of people together? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the way that that gets summarized is innovation does not happen in isolation. So most of these organizations, whether they're economic development entities or they are research institutions or they are groups like Start Life, in the Netherlands, which is really working with the entrepreneurs directly. Um, All of these individuals in these positions of influence that can be points of connectivity between different people are functioning basically as honest brokers to get the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest in these different locales connected to each other so that that can accelerate what they're doing and be catalytic to their business development and most importantly to the research that we're so dependent upon them to commercialize so that they are bringing real solutions into the marketplace at this time when we know we've got to get yields up and we've got to make sure that the food is, um, you know, stable and that the, the, whatever they're using to create the, the increase in production, that those methods are sustainable and that we can get this food to the people who need it the most by the time we see the world population boom in 2050. So, you know, this, this includes so much and different industry verticals. And if we, if, if we in these relationships do our jobs well, then we should be seeing these catalytic sort of moments as research and, and um, investment is coming across these, these invisible lines because we know that that's how we're going to you know, accelerate this innovation um, right when we precisely need it the most. All right, Ginger Emster, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Nothing Impossible. And listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And remember, as you are out there traveling around or even in your own backyard, uh, this is a global planet. So get connected to everybody. Innovation is everywhere. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.